From New Orleans, Louisiana, it's Empirical's PowerTech Podcast. This is the place where we talk about bringing technology to the power industry. Our goal is to educate you on the most popular trends, bring you actionable strategies from industry thought leaders, and help you make sure your utility is prepared for the future. I'm your host, Matthew Sachs, president of Empirical, former utility engineer and power industry advocate. Our podcast for this month takes a slight departure from some of our previous sessions. Now, we won't be dealing with as strict of a technical concept, but rather a more human aspect to the engineering process and profession. I'm joined today by Patrick Endler. Pat is a collaborative leader focused on developing high-performing teams and people-focused design and construction solutions. He founded Endler Architecture in collaboration in 2020 to not only practice architecture, but also to support other businesses with collaborative solutions for business operations, strategic planning, and culture. Pat received his Bachelor of Architecture from the University of Notre Dame, and for 20 years he practiced in a multidiscipline, 160-person engineering and architecture firm. During that time, he elevated to vice president and served on the board of directors during a significant 10-year period of strategic growth and expansion. He drove the firm's high-performance culture to industry-leading benchmarks, including mission and consistency indices through shared employee initiatives. He served as architect of record for projects in the industrial, government, education, healthcare, and commercial sectors. Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's obvious from your background that you were somewhat of an anomaly as a lone architect working in a professional engineering environment that was heavily focused on civil, transportation, power, and the industrial market sectors. In fact, the phrase square peg and a round hole kind of comes to mind. What was that like for you, and what did you learn from that experience? That's a good question. Regardless of the engineer's role or specialty, there's common traits across all the disciplines and functions of a professional engineering team. Being trained as an architect, I was able to look at engineering from a pretty different perspective, unique perspective, I think. You know, so I really look at the engineering process and more importantly, the relationship between the engineer and the client from kind of a different angle. So you think about engineering uh, focus and engineering projects, it's, it really takes a, a focus on a technical approach. It's a very analytical process, right? Identify the problem, evaluate the problem, select a solution. So the methodologies in engineering design and execution are different from maybe the way an architect would handle it. One of the things I noticed is frequently in the engineer and client relationship, the client takes a more hands-off approach. I think the reason for this is that there's well-established processes, specifications, and so forth that guide the process because it's so objective. It's a very black and white kind of process of solving an engineering problem frequently. Architecture, you know, in contrast, is more abstract. It's a bit more subjective. You know, so I think there's a lot more, I expect a lot more client interaction through the design process. You know, you can really get into the client's head as an architect because you have to understand a lot more about what they're doing. You know, what are their business goals? What are their people goals? You know, in addition to just the project. So also in architectural project, you're always thinking about the people who are going to interact with the environment that you're designing. 
So you want to come up with a solution that's really flexible and accommodates all kinds of different people and different things that are, might be happening there and, and dealing with, you know, frequently changing um, uses of the space or the designed elements. Let's, uh, for an example, the, the current uh, pandemic that we're going through, right? The kind of office space that we might design a few years ago compared to how you would attack an office design post-COVID, they're pretty different, right? You know, we're dealing with an unprecedented situation. And so now you want to start to build that kind of flexibility into a design solution. I'm not sure I completely answered your question yet. So uh, let me try again. What I what I really gained the most, I think, from that that work was a better appreciation for the client engagement process. So I really appreciate a strong kind of empathetic approach to working with a client, something that's not simply a transactional approach. I like to think of a project as a living thing. It's got a function that you have to deal with right now, but it's also got a life cycle ahead of it. So the best engineers that I've worked with, you know, are, are really considering how the potential users will interact with their project over its life cycle. You know, once the engineer goes away, once the element is constructed, you know, considering things like operations, maintenance, future expansion, and, you know, just general workflow. You know, for example, you know, not of a building, but uh, of the substation, the kind of things that uh, Empirical would be working on. You know, think about the serviceability of these elements. You know, the people that are going to have to interface with your constructed products, your designs after, you know, you turn them over to the owner. You know, how they interact with the equipment, how they might expand it in the future, how they deal with maintenance and accessibility, say, to the control house. You know, how does the workflow impact the design? And that's not to say that engineers would overlook those aspects, but drivers like cost and schedule are frequently the most prioritized drivers in a, in a design project. So they get the top priority, and a lot of these other elements, you know, fall down the list of priorities. You know, with my background, I often was able to offer an outside perspective. And so, you know, I could stimulate the engineers a little bit. I could stimulate the owners with some of these other kinds of questions and, you know, um, make them maybe a little bit uncomfortable about thinking about these kinds of things and not just the immediate problem at hand. But it really led to, you know, impacts in design. I think it, it, it helped folks get a little more creative with their solutions and a little more empathetic about thinking about the people that these designs will ultimately impact. And it, it sort of, you know, reduced at least or lessened the one-size-fits-all kind of thinking. That all sounds really interesting. Something that caught my attention was the client relationship management process that you mentioned. Would you elaborate a bit more on that? So sure, from a client's perspective, if, if I can put myself in the client's shoes for a bit, I really want to select an engineer that matches up with my need, you know, an engineer that's got the strengths uh, to align with what I need. And certainly, you know, we're all familiar with the RFP and the RFQ process and, and how uh, engineers get selected frequently. But it's not just the firm's experience, although that is, of course, critical. But 
the individual that's going to lead the process for the engineer, you know, to kind of form this relationship with the client. Because the engineers are not all interchangeable, of course, right? You know, I really believe strongly that a client needs a partner, someone who's meticulously aligned with their need. I really suggest the clients explore the engineering firm's personality, the way their management operates, what are their core values, and what kind of individual talent do they bring in. So why is this important in the utility industry and for your clients? I think the client gets the best value when the engineer acts as an extension of their own team, a real partner. You know, it's a true symbiotic relationship because then everything can happen faster. Design happens faster. Construction happens faster. So you really need a team that's flexible, someone that, someone's that can adapt quickly. And then you can really leverage innovation and technology as, as an important piece once you have that strong relationship. Well, I'm happy to hear you say that because I know we've actually marketed ourselves as being an extension of a client staff and wanting to be integrated with their project team on the inside and not thought of just as this outside provider that was chucking a design over the fence. Now, you mentioned technology and the role that innovation plays in the engineering, design, and the overall project execution process. Because that is the primary focus of our company's podcast, bringing technology into our industry, I'd appreciate you sharing any additional thoughts you might have on that. Like I said, in this day and age, everything is happening faster in the design and construction world. So you need a team that's flexible and can adapt quickly. Because when you have that, decision-making must also or can also happen faster. You know, look for the firms that leverage technology for its benefits and that leverages its people for their benefit. Let me explain what I mean by that. The technology that's out there today that can really generate a lot of options, it can rank opportunities, it can rank and prioritize constraints, it can help you visualize the future development and future opportunities. And when you let the technology do those sorts of tasks, then when you've got the right engineer driving the project, he or she can really connect the key people on the engineer side, with those on the client side, with other outside stakeholders to make informed decisions. You're really leveraging the tech because you've got the right person in that spot to help make those good decisions. Today's technology is incredible, right? There's, there's software out there that streamlines processes and automates, you know, activities that, that used to be very manually intensive. Things like CAD and LIDAR, GIS, 3D modeling, you know, these things can help you test options, you can test functionality, test usability before you start any kind of costly construction. You're almost creating like digital twins of some of your design, of, of some of your projects before you go to construction. In fact, I think that some of the things that, that you're doing at Empirical, you know, really have been, you know, leaders in that space with innovation. You know, some of the tools that uh, that I've seen, like your Power View and your T&D Toolbox, those are things that 
have really accelerated processes, and I'm certain they've enhanced relationships with some of your clients. So kudos for that. But it really remains critical to me that you have the right people coordinating the work. Who's doing the communicating? Because sometimes the most tech-savvy people are not necessarily the best communicators of the information. So your clients are going to continue to make project and investment decisions quickly. So I really suggest that, that they find a program leader or a project leader who's an experienced communicator, someone who can speak both to the engineer's internal team, the many other constituents, and the client side. Remember, some of these folks may have very different goals in the project development, but you have someone who, who's good on their feet among all those groups, then you can really leverage that available technology in a manner that's specific to your process. And then to extend it even further, how can you use this technology that you've leveraged during design into construction and beyond construction into the life cycle of the project? There are tremendous opportunities to keep that technology applicable to your clients once the quote-unquote project is ended. Pat, this has been a great discussion. If I can, let me ask you a transitional question related to the project engineering process. Can you take a minute, based on your personal experience, to discuss the role that processes and procedures play in delivering quality and other project outcomes? So sure, engineered projects and heavily regulated industries like yours have a lot of process and procedure, which can be a good thing. One of the things that I really like to see, though, is is, it's not maybe a standard process or procedure, but it really came to be common in the lead process, the leadership and energy and environmental design projects. And that's something that they call the OPR, the owner's project requirements. So the OPR, to me, it's like a mission and vision statement for the project. If you set it up at the outset and you get the key stakeholders to articulate an OPR, it can become a guiding document throughout the life of the project. Of course, a couple of key parts of the OPR are going to be, you know, we want our project to be on time and below budget, right? Well, of course, doesn't everybody want that? But if you do a deeper dive on project goals, it can really help you when you get to those inevitable decision points that arise during the course of the design project. So I suggest you you really customize each OPR for every project that you're working on. Think about things like performance. How's the how how is the the design going to perform or operate once once it's constructed? The health and wellness of the people that interact with it. Energy consumption, energy optimization, you know, safety. How about community goals? There may even be community goals for certain of these projects where you really want to partner with the community, you know, where you're making this investment. You can Outline these, you can prioritize these goals and, and get them into that document, and it really can help steer people through the process. For example, on a building, on a building example right now, say an owner wants to, to put up a new building that and uh, is looking for a 30% reduction in utility usage. So that's a terrific goal. But what are the cost-effective metrics you might put in place to meet this reduction? 
For instance, maybe you're looking for a, a five-year payback on, on some, some of the things that you put in because they have first cost implications. So as your engineers and designers are kind of debating how do we get to this 30% reduction, they're going to look at a lot of things that they could do as part of the original design and construction. And you may want to make sure that those things get paid back in five years um, or maybe something sooner, but that's going to drive first costs in all likelihood. So if you talk about these things at the outset of the project from a 20,000-foot level, it can really start you on a good path and really becomes an important part of that OPR. Because this kind of discussion really will help set expectations. It identifies key issues, and it just sets the projects up for quality and higher value. Thinking about that, I can see a wide range of project goals that could be considered in such a way. Uh, redundancy, scalability, resiliency, operational risk, and much, much more. We've talked about a lot of various moving parts here in the engineering design process, including the client engineering relationship, technology, innovation, and even the project process itself. How do we tie all of this together? So think about when you're ready to start a new project. The engineer, the client, everybody's excited. You have something new and exciting to work on. You're going to dive right in. Everybody really wants to dive right in. And so you really sometimes just get right into the project solutions and into the weeds, so to speak. And I would say, let's take a step back from that. You know, first, before you even match up the engineer and the client, let's hope the clients are looking for an engineer that is in alignment, you know, with the core values and the project goals that they're looking for in their project. I find that to be a fundamental step. And I think you know that really good engineers will know that there are certain projects they won't be afraid to walk away from if it's not the right match. Secondly, I think you get tremendous value from having a well-defined scope and developing a project requirements document like we talked earlier in that OPR. It results in goal-oriented kickoff meeting. You know, you get a good facilitator to facilitate that discussion, can lead a collaborative conversation, make sure the key team members have a voice, and results in a clear list of project goals. It sets the tone for the whole project. And then finally, leverage a technology with your engineering partners. But make sure you have got a good communicator interfacing on both sides. You get these things in place, and your project will be set up for success. Well, Pat, I want to sincerely thank you for your time and participation today, and mostly for giving us such a unique insight into the practice of engineering design. Today's episode gave us an independent view of the engineering process from a professional service provider who was not an engineer. This is a valuable perspective because, while it shares a similar background with engineering, Architecture often invokes a more human feel to its processes, and that touch can offer a higher level of focus on customer-oriented goals than simply the design specifications. Aligning an engineering firm's core values and culture with a client's stated goals and anticipated outcomes can lead to more than just project success. It allows the work to achieve goals beyond just the design and construction of a physical asset. Working to understand those goals can position a firm in a specialized light compared to its industry peers. Well, that about wraps up this edition of the PowerTech Podcast. If you haven't yet, please log in to wherever you've subscribed to the podcast 
and both rate this show and leave a comment, as that really helps new subscribers in the power industry to find us. Also, for more free insights on bringing technology to the power industry, make sure to visit Ampirical.com. We post free white papers, articles, and all of our previous podcasts there. Plus, you can register for a free 3D strategy planning session call with one of our 3D planning specialists. Again, you can do all of that and much more at Empirical.com. Please stay tuned and join us for the next episode of the PowerTech Podcast. And until next time, keep engineering powerful solutions.